welcome to the Cake Sugar Coach podcast. Join me each week as I interview experts who will share the science of sugar, sugar addiction, and different approaches to recovery. We hope to empower you with the information and inspiration, insights, and strategies you need to break up with sugar and fall in love with healthy whole foods so you can prevent and reverse chronic disease, lose weight, boost your mood, and energy. Feel free to go to my website for details on my coaching programs and to access free resources, kicksugarcoach.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kick Sugar Coach podcast. And I'm here today with Callie Kendall. And Callie has her own story of recovery from sugar addiction, food addiction. And she's here to share it with us today, the highlights and the hiccups and the uh, the, the, the breakthroughs and the breakdowns, as we like to say. So, or sorry, no, the break, yeah, the breakthroughs. The, the, let me try this. Sure. The, the breakdowns and the breakthroughs. So welcome, Callie. Thank you. Glad to be here. So just to hit you up with a few uh, details, Callie was in the IT industry for 30 years. And about five years ago, just over about five or six years ago, she landed in an online program called BLE, where she discovered food addiction and started to frame her lifelong struggle with weight in the context of addiction. And once those light bulbs went on and the dots were connected and she was given a meal plan that was abstinent and all the reasons why we want to break up with sugar and flour and and how to just put together some meals that hold us, she got recovery. And 15 months later, I believe she said, roughly, Mm -hmm. she had dropped 90 pounds. And that was five years ago and has kept it off. But more importantly, well, no, not more importantly, equally importantly, is after dropping, you know, after breaking up sugar and flour and losing her weight and transforming her life and getting into parts work and doing all this deep, deep healing recovery work, she had this amazing insight. You know what? I want to do something with my career. I want to help men and women that are what she calls in the hallway experiences where they're kind of like, they don't know how to open the doors. They're kind of stuck. They're in limbo. They're in transition. And so now that's what she does full time. She's a she's a mentoring coach that helps people who feel stuck and they just don't know how to take you know go to the next level. So that's a little bit about how her not just her weight, not just her mental health, not just her health, but her literally what she does for a living transformed as well. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you. Glad <laughs> to be here. Yay. Yeah. Yay. So let's let's uh, where would you like to start with your story? Your journey of recovery. Well, I'd like to start with what you just um, mentioned. So, because that's been such a huge transformation for me, uh, going to becoming a mentor and, and, and having my own business, which I never thought I would do. So, for most of my life, up till about five, six years ago, as you said, I felt like I lived a double life. So... I, um, on the one hand, I was going, doing all this self-development and going to these classes and all of that and starting in my twenties. And it's, it it originally started with doing dream work and, and just has blossomed from there. On the other hand, I hear I was working for corporate America in, you know, the belly of the beast, IT information, you know, information technology in pharmaceuticals, big pharma. And um, so I spent my days, you know, all buttoned up and 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 trying to, you know, please the the chain of command or whatever, and then and and do their bidding. And then nights and weekends, 
when I would be taking classes and such, I was trying to figure out what I wanted and what was going on inside me. And, um, and so it just felt like this double life and it was a balance. It was what I could do, but it didn't feel comfortable. It didn't feel great. Um, and, and I felt kind of stuck. Um, so when I finally found this method, um, bright line eating, um, that allowed me to get and stay in a body that is, um, that's workable, that's, that's the size that works for me. Um, so much opened up and I no longer live that double life. So I don't work in IT anymore, started this, this business and I walk beside people who do, you know, who are trying to figure this stuff out for themselves. And I get to use all of me where the expression I use, and because it was true, when I was in corporate America, I felt like I had to check my soul at the door. Every day, you know, I just had to like deposit a huge part of myself. And, um, and now I don't do that anymore. And now I feel like a whole person. And the reason this is important is that I feel like this is um, this couldn't have happened unless I got off the sugar and flour. That's, you know, in retrospect, I certainly didn't go into um, I went into the for the weight loss, as we all talk about it, you know, uh, for the health. I mean, that was definitely for health and weight loss. And but within that first couple of weeks brain fog cleared. This is fog. I didn't even know I had. (laughs) If you'd asked me, I wouldn't have said I had it, but all of a sudden I'm thinking more clearly and I'm calmer and I'm like, wow, you know, who knew? And, and then within a few months I had more energy, more vitality. I, I just felt more me. And, you know, with that, you know, came, Oh, what can I do with this? You know, what can I, what, you know, and believe me, I had taken so many classes and everything and I'd done so much therapy and so much stuff like, you know, what is it that I came here to do? What is, you know, what's my purpose? What's, you know, and nothing, nothing ever came up. And I think it was because I was so unknowingly so um, wound up in the food. Yeah. Right. It's all consuming, especially when you're, you're on and off diets, right? Because it's so draining and demoralizing and you just feel like you're yes. on a, on a merry-go-round and you're like, Hey, wait a minute. I've been here before. Yes, <laughs> you do. You feel like you've just, you keep repeating that journey. Yeah. Yeah. And not really getting anywhere. Yeah. And I had other things that were super helpful, like um, I, I don't know if you've ever talked about this or, or experienced this yourself, Florence, but my sleep improved dramatically after about six months. And what I understand now that, you know, there wasn't even any advertising about this, but, um, you know, no sugar, no flour. Um, it resets your circadian rhythm. 
I've not heard that. Tell me more about that. Um, are, are you picking me up? Okay. Because it seems I'm getting, you froze just here. for a second, but I think you're back. It was just, just okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know that much about it other than, um, well, okay. We have, I don't know what they're called, but we have cells in our brain that, um, uh, can go, uh, that can flip, can go either way. They are either trying to help digest and and deal with all of that when we eat. So when we constantly eat, that's all they do. And when we take a break, you know, you've heard many people say, hey, don't eat two hours before bed or whatever. So it's, it's along those lines that... Um, I don't know how long it takes. It takes a a while, several hours, but they'll switch over and they start doing repair. And they start, you know, building new synapses and doing all this kind of stuff. So um, if we've, you know, if we're grazing and and the same is true between meals, like, you know, they can kick in there as well. And apparently we have circadian rhythms throughout our body. It's not, there's not just one place. So like all, I don't know if it's all the cells, but I think most of the organs have Mm -hmm. their own circadian rhythm. So that's part of it too, is having the regularity. Right. Um, That makes sense. Right. Cause we're on a rhythm with meals and, and that helps and our organs are not overloaded so they can maybe find their own rhythm again. And maybe that all contributes to a system that's reset. Yeah. I just, I was so thankful because I struggled for so many years, you know, with uh, perimenopause and such. Um, I was down to three hours a night for a couple of years. Oh, I I had, I had eked my way back to maybe five or six. Mm -hmm. And then when I started, uh, you know, not doing the sugar and flour, seven, I can even sleep eight sometimes when I give myself enough time. Yeah. Um, Nice. You know, like and is it miracle. still good? Did it persist? Are you still on the? Yes, state? it it persists. You know, every once in a while, of course, I feel like everybody have yeah, yeah. have sleep issues, but yeah. So that was huge. Um, I think I mentioned before when we were talking, but I had I I still have some allergies. Oh yeah. No no miracle there, but um, I have witnessed them decrease tremendously doing this. You know, and whether I can contribute it just to whole food and not processed food. Um, but I know the sugar can really amp up our reaction to that. You know, Dr. Na- Nancy Appleton, um, who wrote the book called Suicide by Sugar and oh, there's several others. She was one of the early scientists. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. she really, really early scientists working at a Loma Linda University. And uh, she's the one who wrote the very famous 146 ways sugar harms your health or damages your health or whatever. So she was writing a book in her, I think she was in her 80s when she was working on this book. And it was all about linking sugar to allergies. And then she died before she could finish the book. But I had interviewed her just before, just on the tail end of her life there. And she was saying, I'm really onto something, Florence. And I can hardly wait to publish my book is I'm going to show the link between sugar and allergies. So you're not making this up, Callie. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. 
And some other, you know, not so much related to health um, outcomes. You'd already mentioned, uh, you know, I got introduced to um, internal family systems parts work mm-hmm. as part of this program. And I mean, I took to it like efficient water. I mean, I just love this stuff and it's helped me immensely personally. And I also use it with my uh, client partners. So, so that's great. And the other thing that, you know, I wish they would teach this to me when I was in grade school, you know, but um, how to form a habit. You know, how to keep and form an automatic habit. I mean, and the best person I know around this, you probably know him too, but Clear. is James Clear <laughs> in Atomic Habits. But um, I mean, that is, it was surprising. It just really boosted my confidence. You know, you just, you just feel like, oh, I've got this. I know, like if I want to adopt something like, Couple years ago, my dentist—I go to a holistic dentist—and they wanted me to use a water pick. I'm like, okay, I know where to put. You know, I got habit stacks. I know where to put that. I know what to do with that, and and I know how to be compassionate and not, you know, beat myself up if I don't do it perfect or whatever. And you know, but a month or two later, you know, I never miss. You know, I've got a solid habit. You know, yeah. And uh, wow, man, I wish I'd known that much earlier. <laughs> Yes, yes. And 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 how important that consistency piece is in the habit formation process, which is why, which is why all the programs recommend no slips, no relapses, just hold steady, hold steady. So what has been your experience with slips and relapses? Once you learned about addiction, recovery, and the importance of three meals and no snacks and whole foods only, you know, did you struggle for a while to kind of get your feet under you or did you take right to it? Um, I certainly took to certain parts of it, you know, like miraculously. And, um, but um, one of the things I, 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 I'm a quantities person. And um, so that's where I would struggle. And one of the key areas um, I just had to give up um, uh, uh, roasted chickpeas because they were, just too snacky. And I would have eaten, you know, bags of them. Um, but the other thing was nuts. And I love nuts. Right. I don't know about you. And they're so good for you. We all do. <laughs> you know, in limited quantities. Right. And um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if it was parts work. I don't know what I it, I know. It could be. I also, you know, started a, a, an ongoing regular meditation habit as part of this. Um, I had meditated before, but never done anything consistently. And, but I, it just, it just hit me at one point that if I abuse these nuts there, then they're, I don't have to have them, you know, that, you know, as we say in, in parts work that my authentic self is going to say no nuts, you know, we'll just take those out. So I realized it's a privilege these nuts are a privilege. And so I need to respect that. And so I needed to figure out, you know, with that sort of shift, I had to figure out, well, what, um, what can I do? So I don't overeat these. And I went and got these little, you know, cute little, uh, glass baby food jar things. And I pre-make them because I usually eat them at breakfast and they're mixed. You know, I do different things. And, 
So I weigh out the, you know, two ounces or whatever ahead of time. And so when breakfast comes, I am not putting my hand in a bag of nuts. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I am just taking that jar and, you know, dumping it into a bowl and putting it on my table. And, and I, I don't overeat. I don't, you know, and the rare times that I use nuts elsewhere. Yeah. I weigh and measure them, put them in a baggie or whatever. Right. I make sure that I make the nuts when I've already eaten. (laughs) Uh, Got it. Yes. You put them all in their their little packages. It's really, um, yeah, it's really good to talk a bit about that whole volume addiction piece, right? Because we can, many of us can get sugar and flour out. It feels like that's utterly impossible until we do it. And then we're like, oh, okay, I got that. And then all of a sudden we're like, ooh, we're eating cheese or nuts or fruit or something. And right in that volume piece comes into the picture. And for Mm -hmm. some of us, we come from backgrounds of binging, but this is different. This is like a consistent push or push. I never really binged. Yeah. Oh, you didn't, eh? Ah, Mm -hmm. interesting. Right. A lot of us do binge, but, and then all of a sudden we realize this isn't even binging. I'm just like trying to find a way to overeat, you know, more right. more often than not this volume addiction piece comes into the picture so talk to us a little bit more about that and how you how you manage to, to so i'm assuming that's kind of a non issue for you now yeah it isn't and this kind of goes with another thing that um i struggled with i would say i i got over the struggle very early however i spent years cuz i i did all sorts of things and i can go through my history about how i uh arrived you know 90 pounds overweight and all that but um in a bit but you know i had nutritionists i had all sorts of people telling me to weigh and measure and i'm like no way no way no way i mean years. I, I mean probably 15 years i said no yeah and um I, that i was like you can't make me do this. Like, this is just, this is, this is wrong. You know, this was wrong. And for whatever reason, I was just all in maybe because I had tried everything else, but um, I was like, let me experiment. Let me just try it. You know, if, if, if a month from now it doesn't work, I'll go back to not weighing and measuring, but I, you know, dutifully bought the scale and all this kind of stuff. And I had the hugest turnaround. I don't know if you've experienced this or your clients have experienced this, but I found so much freedom. There was so much freedom. I I was, I was, I'm still gobsmacked. I mean, I'm just like, I'm like, oh my God, this is my food. Like, 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 like a whole level of legitimacy comes in. Right. It's like, and, and, you know, the first time that my partner's name is Tony. The first time I had my grapes, you know, uh, weighed and measured there and, and I'm putting my stuff on the table and, and, and he's like, oh, these grapes are good. I said, yeah, yeah. Did you, and he goes, oh no, I just had some out of your, your dish. And I'm like, you did not. And I'm like, how many did you eat? He goes, what's the matter? And I'm like, because they're weighted measured. You know? <laughs> they're mine, mine. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, whoa. And uh, I'm like, how many did you eat? He goes, two. All right. I was like, well, then you can wash two more and put them back in. Yep. Yep. And uh, he never did that again. So, um, yeah, it was. And and another thing that I wanted to share that that happened with this. Um, a couple months into this, you know, newfound freedom of I get to weigh and measure and that feels good where I thought it was going to feel terrible. 
Um, I, and I, I'm not sure what you um, recommend. So I'm mostly whole foods plant-based. So I eat quite, I, almost two pounds of uh, vegetables a day mm-hmm. and, and then fruit on top of that. So um, when I sit down to a meal, I mean, you know, my, when I visit my parents, my mother still says after five years, you know, do you know that you eat your salad out of the bowl that we used to serve the entire family? family. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And um, so it's, it's, it can be large, you know, you can be sitting down and the, the term that came to me one day was I get to sit down to a confident feast. Mm. it is a feast it is all this beautiful food it is gorgeous food and it's my food it is and I don't mean just possessive I mean this is what my body needs and wants and I am 100% confident that that is what will keep me healthy and you know keep me going and and give me energy and all the things that you want food to do Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um minus entertainment and other things. But um, so yeah, a confident feast. That was, I mean, what a turnaround from no way am I weighing and measuring to now it is one of the pillars of my program. Yes. I had the same experience and I'd have these long stretches of weighing and measuring perfectly. Sometimes like almost as almost two years back to back, every meal, barely ate out total peace extraordinary peace. And then I actually had moved and moved to a community where there were, there were no particular 12 step meetings. And I kind of drifted away from the program and I kind of used the scale every now and then. And, and then I thought, Oh, this is freedom. I know I can eyeball. I can eyeball. I'm doing great. And, you know, and every now and then I would sort of do a little spot check and I was within a quarter of an ounce of four ounce. Like, you know, I was like, yeah, you got this. You, you can, Mm -hmm. You just give it time, give me time. And I just wind up, you know, back into my volume addiction patterns. Right. And it's so yeah. frustrating. And then I pull the scale back out and I'm like, oh, why did I ever put the scale away? I just love. And then I drift away from the damn scale again. Right. And I think, oh, this is so good to be untethered from that stupid scale. And it feels like freedom until I'm back in the bloody ditch, like with volumes, right? Never sugar flour so much, but it never. But, um, Oh man, that on again, off again relationship with the scale. But every time I get back on and I think it isn't just freedom, I feel deep peace. There is no peace that I can experience, even when I'm right on track with my food, but I'm not using my scale. It's still different. It's still different. Yes. Yes. Isn't it? In general, I don't um, use a scale at a restaurant anymore. I did originally. Wow. Um, and that, and, and, you know, to be um, specific, I would, the first couple months, mostly I would go to like diners because you can order anything there and it's a la carte and, you know, yeah. it's much more casual and, um, and that felt good. And it felt, it felt okay. Um, bringing a scale. Nobody cared. Turned out nobody cared. Really? Um, wow. Nobody even noticed. Um, wow. Cause you have it under your plate and, you know, they don't know. Oh, interesting, right? Because you have one of the big ones. When I go to a restaurant, if I bring a scale to a restaurant, I have one of those, it's like an X. 
Ah, uh, okay. And it folds up because it'll put. I can put it in my purse. Okay. It's a travel scale. Okay. I don't like it as much because it it, it it's harder to read the numbers and all of that mm. stuff. I, I love my other scale, but um, but yeah, it's way too big to bring. Um, but yeah, I uh, restaurants and and we're talking quantities, so you know, back to that privilege thing, right? So when I go out to restaurants, it's nice to have, you know, a nice cut of meat or something like that, that I wouldn't necessarily have at home because I'm mostly plant-based at home. And I would, you know, I knew better. I So I eyeball, but for a long time, and this was only last year, I, I found myself, like you said, creeping up. And I was like, dang, you know, I'm just, calling that six ounces four, you know, it's not, I know it's not, but it's, um, I'm, I'm, and then the next day I'm like, God, I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't eat on plan that that wasn't right. And, um, so I, again, brought my travel scale a few times and I said, you know, I'm just not going to be able to order meat if I'm going to overeat it, you know? And so now I, you know, it's the very first thing I do. I eyeball it. I cut off the other portion. I either put it on another plate or I ask for a to-go container and put it in there to start before I start eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I feel great. And the times where, you know, something was, um, you know, especially American restaurants, but we have, you know, sometimes huge portions. and you know, sometimes they'll give you two of, of something like a, I don't have it that often, but a meatloaf, you know, they'll give you two big slabs of this stuff. And I look at it, I'm like, okay, that looks like about one of those looks like about my portion. And, and they look pretty equal. So I take the other one home. And then I, when I go to measure it, like the next day or something, I'm like, it's four ounces. Look, I was spot on, you know? (laughs) Um, So yeah. Yeah. So restaurants can be the other challenge I have had in restaurants that I had to get over pretty quickly. And I did, thankfully. I know some people do still struggle with this, so they don't go to restaurants. And I don't want to do that. Um, you have to advocate for yourself. And you know, even though I used to, you know, through college and grad school, I um was a waitress. I, I I worked, you know, to pay my way. And um, so I know better, but um, you still feel like, oh, I'm going to be a pain. Oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. But now I, I mean, I just know. And, and again, I got over it pretty quickly. Um, at least here in the States, you gotta like decompose your salads because they put all sorts of stuff that isn't even produce you know, they put cheese, they put, you know, croutons, of course, they put like uh, bacon bits, they'll put, you know, dried cranberries, cranberries, cranberries yeah, <laughs> all this stuff. And um, so, you know, I'm having them take all of that off. And then I bring, um, I bring, because I said I eat a lot of vegetables, I bring six ounces of chopped vegetable that I put on top of that salad. And I also bring six ounces of um, 
of fruits, usually grapes, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that travels well in my purse. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I know, and, and when I've done that and, you know, then I, I, I know I have enough. Yeah. I know there's enough for me and I'm with other people and they've had, you know, appetizers and they've had, you know, drinks and, <laughs> and they have desserts and they have all this stuff and they have the French fries and the, you know, and the bread and all of this. And, you know, so another thing I'll do again, advocating for myself and, and understanding that, yeah, I'm going to pay a little bit more money. And I've just, I got over that real quick mm-hmm. um, because I'm not eating all those other things and spending all that money. Um, you know, I'll ask him how big is the asparagus portion? It's usually like five spears. Well, that's never enough. So, um, I like double it, you know, just immediately I need two of those, you know, and, um, you know, it's that kind of thing. And I've done, you know, as soon as the waiter or waitress shows up, if it doesn't look anywhere near, I'm like, okay, I'm going to need another side salad, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause this is, you know, just isn't big enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So yep. that's, you know, navigating restaurants and, and, and doing that. Friends hasn't been so hard. It, you know, family. Doing that when I'm out with family. They're a little like, bit more hard you know, on you. They are a bit, you know, yeah. You know, I get a lot of teasing from my brothers about it. Like, oh, here's Callie. You know, yeah. she's, you know, got this laundry list of. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because <laughs> by that time, you know, like the gluten free part, and I'm also dairy free. Yeah. And, um, you know, that part is the smallest part of what I'm asking. For. Your list. Yes, exactly. 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 Um, I, and I, somewhere along the line, and I, I don't know where I heard this advice. I think it was from my, my former friend, well, still my friend, but my former colleague, Amy. And she says that whenever she goes out and there's a big group, you know, and the waiter, the waiter or the waitress has come for the order. She always goes first, pick me first. And then she's very clear about, you know, advocates for herself. Here's what I don't eat. Let me know if there's anything I'm ordering here that, or can you have this on the side? She makes this whole production and then she's done. And then everyone else can go. She never leaves herself to the middle or the last because it's, it's harder then because on a roll and you're thinking you're going to get a quick order and then all of a sudden it all bogs down with you know the princess and uh so yes yeah, start start the table and she said that she's noticed that other people around the table start to feel more comfortable as well making advocating for themselves we've set the tone right yeah i want my meal to be what i want it, want it to be i've i've seen it with my with my mother so my mother, very late in life, developed um, a severe allergy to onion. Oh, weird. I know. I, we didn't even know it was a thing. Uh, it is, absolutely. And, um, and I mean, she gets very, very sick and could end up in the hospital. And, um, and, and she won't have it. You know, she's of the generation and all that. She won't advocate for herself. And she won't even have the time ask. Oh. And I'm there and I'm like. Um, to the waiter, I'm like, is there any onion in that? You know, cause she has a, a really bad allergy, you know? And, um, and they're like, oh, I don't know. Cause that's not something they think about. And, you know, they have to ask the, the, the chef, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. are you, are you, cause it's green onion. It's, you know, it, it could be leeks. It could be, you know, garlic is okay, but. Interesting. 
Yeah. They often go together, those two sensitivities. Wow. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to the question of, oh, yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, just if you wanted to share anything more about your journey with addiction, like I know that you were saying to me before we hit the camera, I got that rolling. Was that your first diet? Was it age nine? You did a two week fast when you were 11. Like, it sounds like this was something that you've been working on your whole life. You know, the addiction issue, the food issue, the weight issue, like it's all this tangled mess that for decades just had you in its little grip. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to share, I mean, my mother is this incredible cook and we had some of the healthiest, best um, food than any of my friends or extended family. And we didn't buy candy and we didn't buy, you know, I grew up in the Midwest outside of Chicago and we call it soda pop. I didn't, we didn't buy that. Um, so we didn't have these things and yet, yet I found it yet. So I had a good friend, you know, when I was like six or seven and two doors down and this is just lack of education, right? People just didn't know. Um, I'm not sure they fully know now, but they certainly didn't know then. And um, his mom, I'd go over there like every, you know, every day in the summer. And his mom would make us this huge thing of iced coffee, right, with with sugar and cream and, of course, coffee, which is the thing you want to give kids. And, um, and then, uh, hopefully this doesn't trigger people, but um, it, uh, uh, cinnamon toast. So that's cinnamon, sugar on top of butter and toast, you know, every day on top of, I would have just eaten, you know, some kid's cereal or whatever. So, wow. And then another, like looking back telltale sign that I was addicted to sugar. So I used to go backpacking and um, between like when I was nine and 16, I went every summer for like 10 days, upper peninsula, peninsula. That's it. Peninsula of Michigan. And um, one of the leaders would bring this concoction to replace coffee because that wouldn't be easy to do. So it was um, powdered iced tea. Sounds disgusting now, but uh, powdered iced tea and tang, which you probably don't even know what that is. Oh, I do. Yes. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. And um, and she would let me have some. And then I got completely you know, uh, hooked on it. And I, I remember, you know, here I am nine, 10, 11, 12. And I'm like, I can't function without this. Like I can't greet the day unless I have this stuff. And I go home and I make my mom buy it stuff. Well, for those of you who don't know what Tang is, it was at the time, um, supposedly something that they gave the astronauts to take into space. It's a powdered orange drink. There's nothing natural about it. I looked it up just before this to uh, figure, you know, like what's in this stuff, 90% sugar. Oh my goodness. And some flavoring, you know, or artificial color, artificial flavors. I know. I remember I was so addictive. Oh, so then you eat it by the spoon. Did you not, did you get to the point where you just like, let's just skip the water. I'll just, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I did. I did mix it. (laughs) Um, so the other thing I did a lot of was bake. Mm. 
you know, I started probably about nine years old or something like that. And um, it was a way to, I figured out later through much therapy, but um, it was a way to uh, connect with my family, you know, to give them something, you know, it was like a way to give love, love, right? Yep. But I just baked everything, you know, besides, you know, cookies, pastries, cakes. I don't even like cake. I never like cake. And um, I know I'm strange. And I think that's why I never, that gluten doesn't agree with me because I don't like cake. Um, I would never get a birthday cake. I didn't like cake. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I just got, I mean, what was, what's interesting to me is that we weren't the, this typical family that, you know, would get their kids all this, you know, junk food and all this kind of stuff. And yet I was still able to get hooked. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, Kelly. And I know I've, I've certainly heard many, many arguments, largely, I would say coming out of the intuitive eating sort of camp, um, which I have great respect for. I just know as a food addict, it's, it's, it just didn't work for me. Doesn't work for me. Doesn't work for me, but they will say the only reason, Florence, the only reason why you keep going off the deep end with sugar and flour is because you've deprived yourself. You've built up this, I can't have it. It's forbidden fruit. Just give yourself permission. And it just wasn't true. When I look back on my childhood, Kali, we had no restrictions of food. There was no food consciousness. We were all thin. I had a cupboard full of junk. I had the fridge full of junk, the freezer full of junk, and I still found ways to steal it to sneak it and to lie about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that that's not because my mom would have ever said, Hey, you can't have second ice cream. Never would have said that. I had all the pop I wanted in the fridge, but I still would lie so that I could stay home to drag a chair over to the counter. So I could get up on the very top shelf where the brown sugar bag was. And I would eat it by the spoon. There was no reason. There was no reason for me to have done that in secret the way I was, except some part of my brain knew I didn't want other people around. This was my time. Right with my drug. This was me time with this, you know, this euphoric experience. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about flour. I know that you'd already given up, you know, gluten years before you got into food addiction recovery work. Um, So, but I know it's one of those things that sometimes what's the last thing we give up because it's, it's not sugar. It's not white. It's not totally addictive. It's not totally horrible for the body. And, you know, I don't tend to overeat crackers or even go off the deep end with bread. So lots of people still hang on to that. What was your experience with that? So in the program I was in, they actually, you know, coached us that it was just a few steps away from sugar in its effect on your body and especially your brain. Mm-hmm. And that it would light up those addictive centers of your brain. And I didn't want that. Right. And what happened, you know, I I was I was all in for the experiment. If if this worked, I was I was shocked when I joined because I thought it was just gluten-free. And um, once I found out, you know, very quickly in the first couple of days that, oh, I had to get rid of the almond flour and all this other stuff. Um, I'm like, whoa, OK. Um, but I had spent, you know, being gluten free for five years. I had spent all that time having to read so many labels and 
have to do all this special stuff, right? What I found out in those first few weeks is it was so much easier. I just ate whole food. I didn't eat that stuff. And because I'm gluten-free and, and, and I get extremely sick um, if I have any, um, I, um, you know, while we could have done like, I assume you guys have like Ezekiel bread or whatever. I could have done something like that. I couldn't have because it has gluten in it, you know? So there are very few things that I could eat. And most of it, I didn't want to eat. And I just realized that there was so much freedom and, you know, kind of what you were talking about before, peace. In it's just not my food. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't, I don't eat any, you know, any bread. And, you know, it just, it's just easier. Mm-hmm. And then I, I also, I actually wouldn't say my food is simple because I took this challenge a year or two ago or something. Um, one of the, uh, oh, what is it called? Food freedom. Uh, I can't think of it. Ocean Robbins. Anyway, mm. um, they are great information on whole food, plant-based stuff. Yeah. And um, they had somebody on one of their summits or something saying that, um you know, you want to get as many fruits and vegetables in a week as you can. And like, I think it was aim for 30 or something like that. And then when you give me a challenge like that, I thought, well, I've never thought of measuring, you know, I like variety. So I will actually, you know, my salads. Wow. I mean, I just, you know, if it's in the the refrigerator, I may only put, you know, one thing of baby corn, but it's going in there, you know? So I, um, I, you know, I tried to maximize what you're doing and they include spices. So every spice you're using is, is one of them and things like that. Well, so different fruits and vegetables in a week, I had like 80. What? Yes. Wow. You know, so I just want to say my food isn't simple in that sense, mm-hmm. but it's preparation is simple. So I pretty much just, I mean, saute is like the most complicated thing I do. I, I, you know, and I'll bake and roast stuff, but I don't do like recipes. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and I think if I got into the, 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 the flour, the, the, um, you know, even if it was almond flour or whatever, um, or even things that are allowed on our program, you know, like, you know, something with oats or something, make some sort of pancake or something that would, that would feel like it was my old life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, all that baking and all that stuff I used to do. And I don't want to go down there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't, that doesn't serve me anymore. That kind of complexity. Right. Um I look for the beauty and the variety and I, I literally change up my plates. You know, I have all these different, you know, different color plates and things like that. So that that's interesting. And, Uh, you know, nice. It's always beautiful. Right. Yeah. And it is, it's naturally beautiful when there's color, our bodies are so attracted to colors because colorful fruits and veggies are good for our bodies. It's why we, we like color. Yeah. 
my final question is, I just wanted to add to that, that with flower, my on again, off again experiments over the past 20 plus years is that I would do fine for flower for a while and then slowly, and by slowly, I mean, over months and months, I would notice it would start to crowd out the veggies, right? Mm -hmm. That I just, I just, oh, I'll just have that again. And, And all of a sudden I could just see, I just, I was just getting back into the rut of crowding out the healthier food choices. And uh, yeah, it was just easier, much more peace to just give it all up, let it go. My final question, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up today? Sure. Um, thanks for asking the question. So this is maybe, um, I don't know, might be a little woo-woo for some people, but um, it's been a huge shift for me and a subtle one at the same time. What I came to understand, and again, this is me, and I'm not saying anybody else has to believe this, but I came to understand that my body is her own sentient being. I totally get this, Callie. Go say more. Yes, I get it. Okay. Yes. So she has her own thoughts and wishes and dreams and desires and all of this. Fears and and it and fears and all that. Well. And, and it's, it's not a part, like, I don't see it as a part of me. Like it's, it's, it's my body. So I spent years in these self-development classes and everything. And, and the expression of, you know, you're not your body, you're not your body would come up. And I'd be like, part of me in my head would be like, yeah, I like that. Especially when I'm overweight and, you know, everybody thinks I'm fat and, you know, there's all the shame and all this other stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I'd like to not be my body, but, um, but I didn't believe it. I I actually thought it was a lot of BS and, um, and none of those people could tell me how to get there. Like they they just said, this was true, but they couldn't tell me how to get there. Yes. Well, I think it was parts work. I think it was getting off the sugar and flour. I think it was meditation. I think it was all these things. It's just one day. It just hit me. Mm -hmm. And, and I kind of went with it and I'm like, Oh, so I'm not my body. Oh, okay. Um, And then it occurred to me, again, parts work helps in this regard, but it, it occurred to me right away, I should give her a name because, you know, she's different than me, right? And um, so I gave her my middle name because, well, I don't use it. <laughs> so, um. And with that shift, I could start to dialogue with my body. Yes. And, and I could ask her, what does she want? And what does she desire? And I mean, like simple things. We go for a walk and I'd be like, okay, do you want to turn here or turn there? Or do you want to keep going? Or do you want to go back home? You know, what is it, you know, as my body, what do you want? And, you know, again, this might sound strange, but um, I get the answers through muscle testing. That's how I... Oh, mm-hmm. I do that. Yeah. So now I check in on a regular basis to see what's going on. I will muscle test things like, you know, my supplements. Is this one thing you want today? Or is this, you know, mm-hmm. what have you? And here's, so it was only like a few days after this revelation came to me um, that I knew that something big had changed. So I was in my kitchen and I had caught my um, finger on a drawer pole and it hurt so bad. And prior to this, I 
am somewhat embarrassed to say, but it's true. I used to, you know, do something like that. And I would just berate myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, my mental chatter of, you know, you idiot, you klutz, you, you know, uh, moron, whatever, you know, that, that you can't figure out how to open a drawer, you know? Um, And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen not because I thought about it, not because something, you know, I'm like, oh, well, now things are different. No, it just shifted. All of a sudden, you know, my hand is throbbing and everything. And because I now had this understanding that my body is her own sentient being, I just went, oh, I'm so sorry. This hurts. You know, you're in pain. And I'm like, you know, and I, I, I was just exuding compassion for myself and, you know, talking to myself like a good friend rather than, you know, the taskmaster and the, you know, with the whip and everything. And, oh, wow. I mean, and it's, it's, I've never gone back. It was just boom. And so I wanted to share that with your listeners because I thought, you know, it's not a usual thing, but. I, it helped me so much mm. in this journey, mm-hmm. you know, because I realize, you know, and, and I've come to realize that, uh, you know, on my health journey, I eat to feed my gut, to feed the microbiome. You know, that's why we're eating <laughs> because we're much more them than we are human. <laughs> we're over 90% micro, you know, organisms. So um, we're actually eating for them. And so, you know, and to me, that's my body, you know, we're an ecosystem, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that really, I, I think it, I think it cemented this shift. And how it's, long, how long was it after you put sugar and flour down and you start to meditate and you've got the scale and you're the fault, you know, all the addictive eating is, is behind you. How mm-hmm. long before you recognize, or you, you had that moment of that inner critic being quiet, that you could be compassionate. I'd say that it was probably a good eight months. Oh my God. That early. Oh it my seems goodness. long, but, um, Oh, that was, that's quite early. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think we notice improvements by then, but not that dramatic, like a total shift. Well, I think that's why this, this shift, this finding out I had a, you know, that my body is her own sentient being. Without that, I think that critic would have kept going. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But this, this, um, you know, and I have to say one of the things that I so celebrate, and I, I, you know, I can tell you're you're the same, but we don't know uh, what my experience is. I didn't know. I knew that I should be compassionate. I didn't know how. Right. And so then it was just one more thing to beat myself up about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I'm real good at that. And. Um, so, and it's not that I don't catch myself every once in a while, you know, um, and that's when I jump into heart's work. <laughs> so, um, but 
the program I've been in, you know, people are just they're they're demonstrating on a daily basis how to be compassionate for each other and ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I I learned because people were modeling it. Nice. Yeah. I'll 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 add to that and then we'll wrap up. Um, sure. I I had the exact same experience. I was running in circles of people. I was a seeker right from my twenties in spiritual groups, personal professional mm-hmm. development, and they would say things like, "You know, you're not your you are not your body. You are not your mind. You have a body and you have a mind." And I'd be like, "What does that mean? I don't yeah. get it." Like. I just didn't have an experience of that being meaningful, not even barely intellectually meaningful, right? And I'll be like, all right, you're saying I'm a spirit, I'm a soul, you know, but it just didn't click till until I was on the other side of my addiction. Because when I was an addict, I was so collapsed into the pleasure drives of my body. I was one with the body. I had no... I was just in the crisis of chasing highs and recovering from binges and struggling with diets and, you know, and all the health issues and crisis. I mean, I was just so wrapped up in the life of the body. It was almost like it's all I could think about was mm-hmm. the pains and the aches and the struggles and what I was eating and what I didn't eat, what I ate too much, like all that, that it wasn't until right. that ended and got quiet that I could begin to experience that, 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 that space and that separation. Um, and now it's like a complete no brainer to me that we <laughs> We are, we are souls in a body and we have a body and it's sentient. And it was through trauma work for me, through the polyvagal trauma work, where right. they talk about the, the need for the body felt experience of safety. Not into, You can't intellectualize that. The mind, it has to be a body felt. And I'm like, right, my body is registering safety all the time and bringing fears from early childhood. That's just its own life, its own thing. Right. And I could have that exact same revelation. This is literally like a child or a puppy or something that is preciously in my, it's my responsibility to care for it, to be in dialogue with it, to listen to it, to respect it, to be grateful for it. Right. Instead of like, come on, give me more. We got to get this. We got to right. get this. We got to get this task done and we're behind and we're late. And how could you be so dumb? Right. That all the inner critic, terrible mm-hmm. abuse. Yeah, very similar. One of the things I did, it, you know, it occurred to me a couple months after that is I wrote a letter mm. to my body, you know, because just everything you just said, I like thanked my body, you know, thank you for putting up with all of that abuse and all of that, you know, berating and all of that stuff and, and still did the best you could, you know. Mm-hmm. kept showing up and you know allowed me to function and you know got me where I am and you know yes yeah that's amazing what a great idea yeah it's it's keeping us survive and all the years that we spend blaming how did you betray me how did I get to be 90 pounds overweight and now mm-hmm. I got achy knees and I have nothing's ple- like and all the shame we have about our bodies and we realize oh my goodness you have been the most exquisitely honest thing in my whole world the most honest that when I look yes. at here I saw a body that was betraying me but what you were doing was exquisitely ex- expressing the lack of care right that it was me doing this to you it was never you doing this to me right and you go oh I'm so sorry 
I'm so sorry. Let's get back. Let's get on the path. Let's start with the food. Let's get you abstinent. Let's get you beautifully nourished. And then it all unfolds from there. And you're just at year five. Like who knows what year 10 will bring, right? It's such a cool journey. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would say I'm in what I call like the early autumn of this journey. Yeah. Because I feel like I am definitely harvesting those benefits but I've got a long way to go. You know, like I, I, you know, I, I look at, you know, my life going forward and I'm like, it just gets better. How good can it get? Right. That's the question we ask. Yeah. We put down the addiction and then we ask ourselves, how good can my life get? So yes. join us here. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. I know this was a little long discussion. I hope you found it helpful and I hope you're encouraged to, to join us on this, this sugar-free whole food path and have a great day. Thank you, Florence. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you would like more interviews, more information, and more inspiration on how to break up with sugar, go to my YouTube channel, Kick Sugar Coach, or my website, kicksugarcoach.com. See you next week.